The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, July 21st, as we record this new episode. Some Major League Baseball games were in action Today, kicking off the post-All-Star break, we had a couple doubleheaders, the Yankees-Astros, Athletics-Tigers. Now we head down the final 70 games of the season, and they will go in a hurry, especially with the trade deadline pushed back to August 2nd, expanded postseason generating more races in both leagues, and pretty tight in the standings when you look at the National League East, the National League Central, and of course, the American League Central. That's where the White Sox reside, and they got themselves back to 500 before the All-Star break, winning five out of six games against Cleveland and Minnesota. They start the post-All-Star break at home for a four-game series in three days against the Guardians. Can the White Sox continue this run? Can they catch fire in the last 70 games of the season to leap both Cleveland and Minnesota in the standings? That's what we will be talking about in this episode. Unfortunately, Jim Margulis is a bit under the weather, so filling in for him is another James, which is by like our constitution of the podcast. It's James Fox. James, thank you so much for pinch hitting for Jim and taking some time to grab you away from our Major League Baseball draft coverage to chat about the White Sox. Yeah, thanks for having me. The the uh, I think I said on Twitter the call up to the big leagues. I know what Lenin Sosa feels like now. So. <laughs> well, you and Mike have been doing a fantastic job recapping the Major League Baseball draft. That's a lot of work, and, and it's been a lot of work earlier this week. And of course, that's going over the All Star break, the All Star game, and the Home Run Derby. Not too much going on as far as Major League Baseball news, but it is great that the games are going to finally restart this weekend. We saw some games already playing Thursday night. And to remind everyone where the White Sox are in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins are still in first place. They're 50 and 44. They have lost seven of their last 10 games, and that has made the race a lot tighter in the division. Cleveland is 46 and 44, two games back, and the White Sox are 46 and 46, three games back of the Minnesota Twins, one game back of Cleveland. 
in a way, James, it feels like this season resets for the White Sox because, again, it's 70 games remaining. They are still in a bit of hole. It's just three games, but they fought themselves back to 500. How are you feeling about the White Sox chances of winning the division again after what we saw this past week when they won five out of six games on the road? So I feel a lot better than I did prior to Minneapolis, right? I mean, even like the start of that trip, it's like, man, you still can't beat Cleveland. And then, you know what, you win, what, five of the next six to get where you needed to get to. And look, I think my biggest takeaway is just that like, I, I'm just like not a big believer in Minnesota. And it's like tough for me to say that because they've, I feel like killed us for most of our adult lives. And (laughs) those teams are super annoying, but like, I just, I just like, they're going to have to trade for a lot of pitching and the White Sox have underachieved. And we look, everybody that listens to this podcast knows the White Sox issues. Um, They've started to fix some of those. They hit the ball out of the ballpark. I don't think they're going to magically get better defensively. Um, the manager's not going to magically get better, but if they score runs, like those other two things don't matter as much. And, you know, it's not a true second half, right? Cause there's only 70 games and we'll get into how we think they're going to do, but you know, it's, it's technically what the easiest schedule in baseball and it's uh, it's time. And yeah, I feel a lot better than I did. So yeah. Take uh, take a has the white Sox now with the second easy, easiest schedule with some of the losses that's going on in the National League Central, especially like the Chicago Cubs falling off the face of the earth, the St. Louis Cardinals now have the easiest remaining schedule in Major League Baseball. So for those that like to participate in futures bets, uh, don't crown the Milwaukee Brewers just quite yet in the National League Central. But I'm with you. Like, I was really hesitant to say that the White Sox were still in contention, James, as they went on that road trip because of just how disappointing they played in their seven game homestand where they went three and four against the twins and the Detroit tigers, but for them to turn that around and and win their last five out of six games and the way that they played in Minneapolis, I'm suddenly back on the bandwagon, hoping and praying in some ways that the white Sox catch fire in these last 70 games. And I put this poll out on Twitter, which you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And I put the over under at 41 and a half wins for the White Sox in the post all-star break to go over or under. So James, I'll ask you, are you taking the over 41 and a half wins for the White Sox or under 41 and a half wins post all-star break? So it's a good number. I think you did it on purpose, obviously. Um, (laughs) This is what I'm going to say. I'm going to hedge kind of. I'm going to say under because I think they go 40 and 30. They get to 86 and they still win the division with 86. Yeah. And the way that you you bring that up. So the White Sox go 40 and 30. They finish 86 and 76. If they win 41 games, which is still under, they're 87 and 75. If they hit the over, they're at 88 and 74. And the race to 86 wins, I'm glad you mentioned that because Dan Zaborski, we had, I talked to him just a couple of days ago in the previous episode and Zips is thinking it's going to just take 85 wins to win the American league central this year. Let's talk about that for a moment. My gut says no way. Someone in the central is going to win more than 85 games. Are you buying what Zips is projecting, James? Do you think it could take as few as 85 wins to win the division this year? I don't know. I mean, I just said that I thought 86 would win it. So I, I kind of feel like 
if the Sox, like if the Sox don't get to 86 or go on a run or the twins don't go on some sort of hot streak, because I don't think Cleveland can get there. I think Cleveland might actually finish under 500 because mm. um, they just, I, the offense is not sustainable the way they play offense and their pitching is pretty good, but it's like not what it's been. And I feel like we watch Cleveland beat the White Sox with their right-handed starters and patient approach at the plate, but like other teams beat them all the time. So, I mean, look, he's the, he's the man with the computer. Like we, we can't go against Dan Zimborski, but yeah, I, I, I guess I'd be a little bit surprised if uh, you know, if it was like 84, 85, um, but you know, the twin second half schedule is not easy. And you know, the White Sox hopefully are the team that goes on the run and all of a sudden wins 90 and we're laughing about how we were so worried, you know? So <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely, you know, the division race to follow. It's, it's the only one that anybody's going to pay it other than the national league central. Those are the two. Well, I, maybe if the Braves can catch the Mets, that that's the other one as well. The Phillies have been playing much better baseball, but I think they're still a pretty distant third in the national league East. The reason why I doubt the 85 wins clinches this division is because Detroit and Kansas city are so bad, James. And I have to imagine that these three teams will continue to beat up Kansas city and Detroit, which adds obviously and pads the win total, but I totally could buy the theory of, well, these three teams are going to beat each other up. Maybe all three finish around 500 against one another. And that's why 85 and 77 wins the American league central and it's a really tight race from now until all the way through early October. I can buy both arguments. I'm just citing to Kansas City and Detroit's really bad. It's going to inflate these three teams' records because the race to 86 wins, as you mentioned, the Twins are currently on pace to win 86 games. A 532 winning percentage is what they have, and that winning percentage is an 86-win season in 162 games. They just have to go 36 and 32 to get there. Cleveland's got to go 40 and 32. So they got to win their games 55 and a half percent of the time. That's a 90 win pace in order for the white Sox to get there at 40 and 30. That's a 93 win pace. I bring this up because that was our preseason prediction that the white Sox would repeat their 93 win total. So after putzing around for the first 92 games and being at 500, if the White Sox can finally play at the level that we were expecting them to play, they'll get to 86 wins if they go 40 and 30. I think I'm really undecided in which way to go here. And I, you are right, James. I purposely picked that number because looking at the White Sox remaining schedule, 11 games against Kansas City, 10 against Cleveland, 9 against Detroit, 9 against Minnesota. That's 39 division games out of the last 70. Seven against Oakland. So you have 27 games, James, against Kansas City, Detroit, and Oakland. That's three of the worst six teams in baseball right now. And I feel like... I don't know. Is it crazy to think that they can go 20 and seven, maybe 21 and six against those three teams? Yeah. The 20 and seven seems like a team that with their expectations that has to rebound to go to the playoffs. I mean, that's probably a big chunk of the four. Like if we're putting the number at 40, 
that should be a big chunk of those 40, I would think. Those teams, I mean, you didn't even mention, like, obviously there's Colorado in there. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's some other ones too. Like, Baltimore's not as easy as we foresaw, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, it's the schedule's listed where it is, like, for a reason because they got a lot of winnable games on it. Yeah, because if they go 20 and seven against those three teams, then to hit the over, they just got to go 22 and 21 against everyone else. And that includes the Twins and the Guardians. Be a 500 team against everyone else, but you got to destroy the teams that are really bad right now in Kansas City, Detroit, and Oakland. And maybe that is the formula. We saw that formula work in 2020 where the White Sox went, what, 18 and two against Kansas City and Detroit and like 17 and 23 against everybody else. Uh, They win the division last year. Why? Because they beat up everyone in the American League Central. I feel like when you have this many games against the Royals, Tigers, and Athletics, this is a good reason for White Sox fans to hope, James, that even if you are pessimistic, you can look at the White Sox remaining schedule. When you see this 27-game total, you got to feel hopeful that, okay, yeah, the turnaround is finally going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's a good point by you, too, just because, like, what, within the next 10 days or so here, those three teams are about to get a lot worse, too, I feel like. Like, Mm -hmm. Detroit doesn't have a lot to move, but probably some relief pitching and, you know, whatever spare parts they have, they would dump. Kansas City, I think, is going to trade off a ton, and Oakland will trade off whatever they can, too. So, you know, Oakland is in a race for they want to be in that bottom three so they can they can get the lottery odds. So and obviously we don't play that they don't play them as many times as Kansas City or Detroit. But honestly, like if you're Kansas City or Detroit at this point, nobody wants to hear it. Like they should be in the race for the bottom two. So yeah, there's there's literally no reason. And look, players and managers try to win. They try to win every game. It's not, you know, you're not tanking on the field, but if front offices take your players away, it gets kind of tough. Remember Kmart's James? Like when they oh, used yeah. to, when they were closing, they had the, the liquidation sale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The blue light special. That's what it was. Oak, yeah. Oakland reminds me of a Kmart closing for business. It's a liquidation. Come and buy whatever you want. We're not planning on being here much longer. That's, that's Oakland right now. Uh, and yeah, you're right. I think all three of these teams can get worse. Definitely. Uh, as the August 2nd trade deadline is coming up. All right. So both James and I, are pretty hopeful. I, at this moment, I'm going to say over, I'm going to say slight over 42 and 28 is the number that I have in my head. If the white Sox go 42 and 28, that puts them at 88 wins. Yes. That falls short of my preseason expectations, but it's only by five games. And I really do feel like 88 wins will win the American league central, even though I'm a bit uneasy at the 85 win number. But the, the Minnesota Twins can continue the pace they've been on all season, and the White Sox will still pass them by. You're, we're not like hoping that the Twins have a complete meltdown, or or that's what we're praying for. The White Sox just have to beat the teams that are on their schedule. The Twins can continue to play the same level of baseball they've been playing all season long. The White Sox can still catch them and pass them. So that is the good news. How are the White Sox going to get there? I think there are key players that could really help spur this type of run. So let's take a look at what we think are the most important position player and most important pitcher post all-star break. So James, I'll start with you. Who do you think is the most important position player for the White Sox post all-star break? Uh, I think it's, I mean, it could be a lot of guys, right? I I think 
like I'm going to go with Yasmani Grandal because they got nothing from him. And, you know, some of your biggest issues were you can't hit right-handed pitching and they don't hit the ball out of the ballpark. And that's kind of why Yasmani Grandal is here. I think, you know, Yohan Moncada's played a lot better. Um, you know, he provides you with defense at third base. Yes, you know, doesn't do as much catching, like, you know, doesn't give you as much catching defensively. But look, like with your roster issues, he's got to catch a ton if he's healthy. I mean, there's just there's just not enough time to make Yaz a DH. And he's got to hit. And, you know, he's looked okay at Charlotte. He's got to come back and he's got to hit for power. They, they need that guy. You could easily go with somebody else. And I don't want to suggest any more and take your answer. But, you know, there, there's a few guys on this team I feel like you can choose from. But I think Grandall is the most important. So my follow-up to Grandal, I think Jim did a fantastic job earlier this week on SoxMachine.com, really laying out the options because we're expecting some type of roster move with Yasmundi Grandal coming back to the White Sox 26-man roster. And the options are you can DFA Sebi Savalix. He's out of options, but Sebi's been playing really well for the White Sox since he's been called up. You can DFA Reese McGuire, who is not hitting, but we knew that he wouldn't hit, but he's still good defensively. Or you can carry three catchers and you can send someone like Gavin Sheets back to Charlotte. A lot of people after the article has been posted have said you could put somebody back on the injured lists, maybe Aloy Jimenez if he's not healthy. Uh, we still don't know the status of Luis Robert. I really hope he doesn't have to go on the injured list. What do you think, or how do you think the White Sox are going to handle this roster when it's time to bring back Yasmani Grandal, James? Yeah, I mean, nobody likes this answer, but um, I don't know. Like, I I kind of thought, like, you know, they just DFA Zavala, and, you know, he's already been outrighted once, so he could refuse his assignment and become a free agent. So I, I'm not sure that they're going to want to do that. My guess is somebody gets a IL stint, you know, either one of the catchers, and he comes back. I really hope. It's not a lawyer, Luis Robert with something more serious than, you know, we're hoping, but yeah, I mean, the only other move is to send sheets down. You have enough outfielders. Like if you did that, I just like, I just like, don't think they're going to do that. So, you know, if, if Reese like went on the DL with something and you bring back Yaz and you give it 10 days and figure it out because they honestly, like they have a decision on burger too coming and that's easy. Like they'll just send him to Charlotte, mm -hmm. but they never sent him to Charlotte. They just put him on the IL. So yeah, there's a, you know, there's a few things they can do and trade deadline coming up. I mean, I'm assuming Grandall's back tomorrow. We don't, or whatever Friday, we don't know that for sure, but uh, you know, I'm thinking that roster move is, is coming like within the next 24 hours. The Sheets option back to Charlotte, I think is interesting. He had a rough weekend in Minneapolis. Now, being there, he had some really hard hit balls that just didn't leave the ballpark, that died at the warning track, or Minnesota had fantastic defensive plays in the outfield to rob Sheets of a couple of hits. But even if you keep Sheets on the roster, James, and Grandal returns, if you still have Sebi Zavala catch, well, Grandal's got to be your DH, right? You, you would think so. And then even, I mean, even if Grandall's catching and everybody's healthy, like what if you play Pollock and Jimenez in a corner, then you're going to DH Vaughn. I just, you know, I don't really know who Sheets is taking at bats from unless they're like AJ Pollock against righties at this point. Right. So yeah. Like, I, I mean, I guess that move probably makes the most sense. 
I just, they, they seem somebody, whether it's Tony or Tony and the front office or whatever, like they just have a soft spot for Gavin Sheets. They, they really want him to be like the one that provides that left-handed power. And like, I get it, but we just talked about the importance of that. Like there's 70 games left in a season. Like they don't have time for Gavin Sheets to like try to get right. And, you know, he did, he came back and he was really good. And he, you know, he helped them in San Francisco and he helped like just after that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it was a series without production in, in Minnesota for sure. So if that's the move, it like, I, I guess I wouldn't be terribly shocked because it makes sense. I just don't know if that's what they're going to do. Yeah. It's be very interesting, but I, I do like your pick of yes, money Grandal. Cause if Grandal can come back and hit the way that he did when he returned from injury last year, when he was performing at an MVP level, that's a huge boost for the Chicago White Sox. And that, that will definitely help them get to 40 and 30, at least in the last 70 games of the season. My pick is Yohan Makata. When you look at Yohan Makata's season, he's hitting 213 with a 263 on base percentage and slugging 337. That's terrible. That's a 600 OPS for Yohan Makata this season. However, in his last 11 games, Yohan Makata is hitting 300 with a 364 on base percentage and slugging 500. And I don't know if you watch the show, the good place when they're in the good place or the bad place, they can't swear. And this, I got this reaction when I was looking at baseball savant, especially specifically at Yohan Makata. So the month of May, James against four seamers, because I've been beating up Yohan Makata now for years about his inability to hit velocity. In the month of May, his average exit velocity against four seamers was 82.6 miles per hour. That's weak. His whiff rate was 32%. That's alarmingly high against fastballs. June, it approved to 89.5 miles per hour. Okay. His whiff rate shrunk to 20%. Okay. In the month of July, his average exit velocity against four seamers is 96 miles per hour, and his whiff rate is all the way down to 8.6%. We haven't seen this type of Yohan Makata hitting these types of four-seamers and this type of velocity, James, since 2019, Yohan Makata. And I feel like if he can maintain this 864 OPS that includes a 500 slugging percentage, we are finally getting to see the Yohan Makata we've been waiting for years to reemerge. Yeah. I mean, I knew that he was like a lot better, obviously over like whatever the last like 10 to 14 days. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's good numbers. I think it's just, you know, I just think he was hurt, man. Like he just, that he rushed back and he wasn't healthy and like, you know, and even like some of the samples that we were all citing was like a hundred at bats and it's just like, okay, this isn't this guy. Right. And even like last year, like he, didn't hit for as much power as we all wanted, but he was like third in the league and on base percentage at 375 and played elite defense and was a four and a half war player. And look, this guy was the best prospect in baseball. We thought he was a perennial MVP candidate. If he's only a perennial all-star candidate, that's probably okay. It's just, you know, there, there's just high expectations placed on him, but I agree. If it's anywhere in that like 800 OPS range for the rest of the season, give me him and Yaz. I think both of them should, both of them should do that. And the White Sox might, you know, the White Sox might go 50 and 20 and we'll all be laughing at each other. 
<laughs> that's that is true. Uh, do you still like Makata batting second? Because that's what LaRusse has been going with lately. Anderson lead off Makata second and then Robert third or Vaughn third before it gets to Abreu. Yeah, I'm good with him too. I mean, when he was lost, you just you couldn't do it, right? I kind of thought Yohan Mankata should be the two hitter for the White Sox for the next five years. And then, you know, he looked like he looked and you have to make a change. And I kind of liked Vaughn up there too, but like, I kind of think Vaughn could hit anywhere. And the way Vaughn's been driving and runs, like if you want to leave him down at five and you want to move Jimenez and Aloy or Jimenez and Grandal a little bit further down, I'm good with that. I'd probably leave Moncada at two. Yeah. Especially the way that he's been hitting. If he continues to hit these four seamers this weekend at this rate in the month of July, the weather is incredibly hot in Chicago for those that are not in Chicagoland. We are expecting temperatures in the 90s all weekend. Hopefully, Yohan Mikata will find the seats this weekend against Cleveland. He's always hit the Guardians pitching really well. All right, so those are our most important position players. Let's talk about our most important pitchers post-All-Star break. I will start here, James, and I'm going with Lance Lynn. So, James, I made another stake bet. I made another steak I, dinner bet. I, I saw. Yeah. You, you like, you like losing money on dinners. Yeah. Hey, now we're tied. I won the first steak, bet. thank you, Rob Manfred. Even though I, you know, I agreed with you though, on age. I, nobody knew that AJ Pollock was going to suck out loud this bad for this long. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was with you. Thank you. I'm hope I'm hoping you're with me on this one. So the steak dinner bet, the third one is over under 107 and a half ERA plus, which is a baseball reference stat. I picked the over. I think Lance Lynn, when the season ends, is going to be at least 8% better than league average for pitchers. Our friend Beeflo from the 108 is taking the under. He thinks he'll be above 100, but not quite up to 108. Currently, Lance Lynn's at 53. He's 47% worse than league average right now uh, in ERA plus. And James, I, I feel like Lance Lynn is the most important pitcher for the White Sox because when you look at their starting rotation, Lucas Giolito's bouncing back. He's had four good starts. Johnny Cueto has been a godsend this season, and I don't know where the White Sox would be without Cueto. But Michael Kopech, I know this is something you mentioned on Twitter and this is some an idea that's starting to creep in my head is that is the innings limit necessary? Because uh, he is having a very difficult time going deep into games. He recovered some of his lost velocity in his last outing in Minneapolis. That was great to see him consistently at 95, 96. But right now it, it's like almost a chore for him to get through five innings. And if the innings limit is an issue, uh, then all of a sudden – other starting pitchers are going to have to pick up the slack. We know that Dylan Cease has been great. So in order to help out the White Sox starting rotation, they really need Lance Lynn to become the 2021 Lance Lynn for the White Sox, not the guy that gives up five runs early in a game like he has in his last two starts. And if he can get hot in his remaining starts this season and he wins me another steak dinner bet, then yeah, I think that's a even more reason why the White Sox can win 40 plus games in the remaining 70. Yeah, so like that's the most like it's not the most likely outcome, but I would say it's like if they're going to do what we want them to do, it is, right? Like it it probably requires Lance Lynn to be a lot better 
then he's bad. And he doesn't have to be like the ace of the staff, right? Like when, when, you know, he made his first, whatever, 10 starts for the White Sox. And we were like, oh my God, they stole Lance Lynn. If he's more of like a mid rotation starter at this point, I think that's fine. Um, You know, so I agree with you. I was going to say Lance Lynn too, but like, I, you know, I think we all feel the best about Dylan Cease. And for whatever reason, like, like, I don't think Johnny Cueto is going to really fall off either. So I think Lucas Giolito is also important. Like Lucas Giolito has to do like what he's been doing. And that's like for him personally and for this White Sox team, because if there's any like fall off from him, that's where like, okay, like this is where like maybe you lose some baseball games that you shouldn't lose. So I think those two guys are the most important. I, yeah. Like you, like you talked about Kopech. I just like, don't know, like with, with him, I need to know what the number is. And I've said this all year and I don't know what it is. How many innings is he allowed to throw? He threw 70 last year. We talked about this on the on our most recent future Sox podcast. I can't imagine he's over 130. So like at a certain point, like they're going to have to trade for another starter within the next 10 days, start massaging his innings, moving him to the bullpen, you know, whatever. But I mean, like Michael Kovac's probably not going to start a playoff game for you anyway. So that's doable, but they really need Lance Lynn. So like, I agree with your answer there because, you know, for those that don't know, like if the White Sox get in, like regardless of what their record is, like they're probably hosting a three game playoff series. Mm-hmm like Lance Lynn or Johnny Cueto is like going to be one of those pitchers. Right. And I agree with you about Lucas Giolito. Giolito Lynn needs to show signs of life and get back to their top 10 American league Cy Young ways. So that way we're not contemplating that Johnny Cueto should start game two of a playoff series. It really should be Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn because of the pedigree and the talent level uh, at this stage of everyone's careers. But right now it is Quayle who's like the number two for the White Sox behind uh, Dylan Cease, while Giolito is bouncing back nicely and Lance Lynn's got to pitch a lot better. I mean, he, this is not Lance Lynn is not a pitcher who has it above seven ERA. He's not Dallas Keuchel. He's not toast yet. And I'm expecting to turn around in the second half. But I really, I mean, if Lucas Giolito I know that he wanted to go to the all-star game this year because it's in Los Angeles and that is his hometown. And he did not pitch well enough to merit going to the all-star game. Evidently neither did Dylan cease, which is crap, but I'm hoping that Lucas Giolito through this break can discover his scion or preseason scion self, James. I think that is a great pick because if he can, that's a good way to stretch out parts of weeks going winning four or five games in a row, which is what the White Sox will need to do. Well, so I kind of thought like, you know, it was one of the reasons why it was just like tough to quit this team as much as like I wanted to at a lot of different times. Right. Cause they do a lot of things that I hate. Like their pitching is just good. Their starting pitching should be good. And I think like Lance Lynn's had some duds lately, obviously. And Lucas Giolito had some early in the season, but if Lance Lynn like gets right or even close to that, I mean, they could, they have a chance at winning every game that they play. That's the difference between them and Minnesota right now. It's that, you know, every day the White Sox are throwing a good starter that should theoretically give you a chance to win. And, you know, you should win most of those games. That's a really good point, James. That's a really good point. So I think we picked, Really good position players. We picked really good pitchers. I'd love to hear what you guys have as your most important position player and most important pitcher for the White Sox post-All-Star break. Again, 
You can tag us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Tag me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh or put your answers in the comment section on SocksMachine.com for the podcast post. We're going to take a quick break on the Socks Machine podcast, but coming up next, James and I will preview this crucial weekend series as the Cleveland Guardians visit the South Side. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Like we mentioned before the break, the Cleveland Guardians are now visiting the Chicago White Sox. And again, we already went through the American League Central standings. The Guardians are one game ahead of the White Sox. They're 46 and 44. They won their last three games. And just like the White Sox, they've kind of found a, a hot streak here after a very disappointing stretch when they went on the road to Kansas City and Detroit. And they went one and six in those seven games. Cleveland is now six and four in their last 10 games. Your pitching problems for this series starting on Friday night at 7, 10 PM central time. This is an Apple TV game. So please make note of that. It's Lucas Giolito against Cal Quantrill. Saturday's a double header at 12, 10 PM central time. This game will be on NBC sports, Chicago. It's either going to be Lance Lynn or Johnny Cueto. And they'll be going up against Tristan McKenzie. Saturday night is a Fox sports broadcast. It's going to start at 6, 10 PM central time. So a split double header. It's either going to be Lance Lynn or Johnny Cueto. And it looks like the probable starter is going to be old friend, Connor Pilkington. 
And then on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, back on NBC Sports Chicago, fantastic pitching matchup. Dylan Cease against Shane Bieber. And Shane Bieber was outstanding against the White Sox at his last start, where he threw 95 pitches for a complete game, and he only allowed one run against the White Sox. James, no Michael Kopech for this series. I'm good with the decision by Tony La Russa to save Kopech for Colorado. Do you like the four starting pitchers La Russa is sending out against Cleveland? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, I, I didn't really know like what the order would be. What do you, what do you think about Cease Sunday? Is that, they just like gave him extra time. I think it's not bad, but they could have theoretically started Cease again Friday on regular rest, and they chose not to. So I think it's curious the way, um, the way they did the order. But, yeah, I think it's the right four guys. Look, I think they're going to they're gonna skip – Kopech and get Kopech extra time whenever they can, I feel like. And we're going to find out by August 2nd what they what they think about Michael Kopech down the stretch here, I think. Some people are making that point and are wondering why Davis Martin is not pitching one of the doubleheader games. And, and listen, I like the dart, but I agree with, Jane, uh, with Jim in one of our previous episodes. This is all hands on deck. Like, go for the sweep. If you can sweep Cleveland, you could push Cleveland and Cleveland could be three games back of you. Uh, and if the twins have a bad weekend against the tigers, then you might be tied for first place after this weekend. So I agree with the thing, you know, no Davis Martin this weekend, even though we have the extra guy that we can have on the roster for Saturday, let's just go with the four best that we've got. And they're saving Michael Kopech for the Rocky series. And let's see, if he does start one of those games, I was thinking that cease would start maybe Saturday night, James in that Fox broadcast. But if you know that Shane Bieber is going to go on Sunday, I can't fault Larusa countering with Dylan cease after what Bieber did to the white Sox in his last start. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. You know, the, the, the question I have is how do smart people, especially smart people like Terry Francona continue to start left-handed pitchers against the White Sox. When, when you have a staff full of righties that, you know, they make look way better than they are consistently. I just, I've never understood this. Even like teams like bring in some lefty out of the bullpen when it's like in a tight game and you're like, Oh, here we go. Like, I feel like every time like we make the joke about it, we're like, Oh, let, but then they hit him every time. Like it, mm-hmm. it like happens every single time where they just like, go nuts off these guys so yes i hope it's counter pilkington saturday that would that would be wonderful well we'll see i mean again it is a double header maybe francona is asking the cleveland front office to call someone up from uh, columbus their triple a affiliate to make a spot start against the white Sox. but because of injuries like aaron savali got hurt he only lasted an inning cleveland is suddenly short on on arms right now uh, against the White Sox. So the White Sox uh, clearly have the advantage when you look at the four game series as far as starting pitching goes. But the White Sox home record this year, James, ha- is terrible. It's got to get better, right? Like, does regression get back to the mean and the White Sox finally start dominating at home? Like, what do you need to see from the White Sox to gain more confidence that they're not going to keep kicking and booting away home games? I think it's simple and it's easier than, you know, and Steve Stone has said it, they got to hit homers at home. You're getting out home and you go to a lot of these games. I know. And you, you know, you see it from your seats, they're getting out homered and you probably have the exact numbers. I don't, but it's bad. Like your ballpark is built for the team that you built essentially. 
and they just don't they don't hit home runs in their own ballpark and they end up losing because of it that that'll be the biggest difference you know whether they get back on track at home or not because like look the the bad defense like has to be mitigated a little bit but they're never going to be a good defensive team i also don't think they're going to be a well-managed team necessarily but you have to hit the ball out of the ballpark and that stuff will not matter as much yeah i think pulling the ball is going to be important Mm -hmm. You know, Andrew Vaughn's got a lot of power, but when he is trying to drive home runs to right center field, it's just dying at the warning track. Like, I know it's really not part of his game and he's trying to be a well-rounded hitter, James. Does it make sense to wanting Andrew Vaughn to pull the ball more, especially in the air to left field? Because if he does, that's where I start thinking he's going to hit homers because I was... He had a great game against the Twins in the, the final game before the All-Star break, and he pulled a ball to the left field and it went out for a homer for him. Yeah, and it seems like one of the constant issues, right? And it's easy to, like, I think it's easy to blame Frank Menachino for some of this stuff, right? Because it's he's the hitting coach or whatever. But, I mean, they had such a high, like, like I think fourth in baseball in WRC Plus last year. They hit enough homers. They did hit a lot of ground balls too, though. But, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like all these guys just look – opposite field up the middle like all the time and they're never looking to to pull baseballs and you know yeah i mean it's it's a good point that's what they and vaughn does like when vaughn does it's crazy because it seems like he could like pull hangers like all the time Mm -hmm. right but he sits back and some of the balls he hits are are crazy because he's awesome at the plate i mean that dude has like been exactly as advertised and he comes up with big singles all the time and drives in runs but yes, more, more. I would sacrifice some of that for more pull power for sure. Yeah, like early in the count, they should be looking for pitches middle in. Mm-hmm. Thing, pitches that they can pull. Like this is what I've been screaming about regarding Luis Robert. And he was starting to do it before he got lightheaded. He waited until you try to beat him inside and he punished you. Luis Robert's not very good on pitches in the outside corner, but he is super dangerous if you challenge him in the inner third. And I think Andrew Vaughn could be the same way as well. So that's something that I'm going to be paying attention to, to see if the White Sox can pull the ball more, especially in the air against Cleveland. James, is there anything that you are looking for in this series that you think could be critical to the White Sox success or failures against the guardians this weekend? So it's just the offense. I mean, like we've said, we've talked about the home runs, but I think Tim Anderson was was pretty bad for a while. And I think it, it kind of, I don't know if it went unnoticed, um, but you look down at the numbers and you're like, oh, that's not really quite what I remembered. And then you, you really start to dig in. And, you know, he played, he was better in Minnesota for sure. So if that carries over, and he's not a guy that we brought up, we brought up Grandall and Moncada, right? But kind of like as Tim Anderson goes, this team has kind of always went. So, you know, if if that guy starts the second half the way he can. I, I think that's that's a good way to start. Like most of the issues I think are on the offensive side. I, I think they're gonna pitch fine. I, I you know I think they'll pitch okay. And I, I think if you get up early in games, I think you're in good shape. Um because I do think the bullpen is at a state where obviously they don't have left-handed relievers and I don't expect Aaron Bummer back anytime soon. But it's kind of like in a little bit of a groove where some of your guys are working. Liam Hendricks right now He's doing the same thing he did last year where he, he got to a point in the season and he was just unhittable. And that's kind of how he's been. So get a lead, get the ball to him. Should win a lot of baseball games. Hey, they held the Minnesota twins to 10 runs at home over four games. 
I think that's feasible by the White Sox against Cleveland in this series. And if they can do that again, then I think the White Sox can easily win three out of four. And that would be a fantastic way to start the post-All-Star break. And I think that's a great segue to our series prediction for White Sox against Guardians. I'm going to say the White Sox win this series. They're going to win three out of four against Cleveland, continue these good vibes, continue moving the momentum forward. They get a day off before they go to Denver, and let's see what happens in Denver because that's such a weird place to go. And then they have another off day. So this is the week where they get two off days. So a lot of rest for the White Sox here. And they have back-to-back series at home against Oakland and Kansas City. I'm smelling a six-game winning streak right there, James. The White Sox just have to put themselves in a position to really take advantage of that opportunity. And they could do so by winning three out of four against Cleveland. How are you feeling about this series? And what is your prediction for it? Yeah, I like that. I'm feeling optimistic. Um, I, I feel like they have to get two, but I think, I think they're going to win three. I think they'll lose one of the Saturday games. You know, I don't, I don't know which one, you know, one of them were, and that the other, you know, we didn't really talk about that, but I think the lineups for that game are important too. Like Jim talked about all hands on deck. Like, I don't want to see all your starters with an off day on one of those games Saturday. Like you, you got to win these baseball games. You just had five days off. So yes, I, three out of four puts them in really, really good shape going forward. Uh, that's a good point about the double header lineup because you have Monday off. I get playing in Denver is weird. You know, the whole travel and the sleeping there, but you get Thursday to recover, to come home. So this is the time to push your position players. Everyone should be playing these four games in three days. I know it's going to be hot. I know LaRusse is always concerned about that, but the guys have had a lot of rest. Take advantage of this opportunity at home against the Guardians and get past the Guardians in the standings. And hopefully the White Sox are in second place when we recap this series on the next Sox Machine podcast on Monday. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Huge shout out to James. And you can follow James on Twitter. He's at JamesFox917. Listen to James and Mike Rankin on the Future Sox Podcast. They have been awesome recapping the Major League Baseball draft for the White Sox. James is going to have another article on Future Sox and Sox Machine recapping the entire 20 rounds for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, And it's great stuff as well because the White Sox have added a bunch of pitchers into their farm system. And James, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me and pinch hitting for Jim recording this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. If you just discovered Sox Machine or have been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, you can help support us at patreon.com slash machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, they are the first ones to get it. Monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash machine. You can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside James Fox, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.